You're listening to On Conversation, and I am the legend Keith Chandler. And on this episode, our ninth, we convene at Stirred Up Coffee Shop in Emerald Isle, where Joey and Brad debate the Anglo-Saxon Manifesto as presented to us by some right-wing politicians. Uh, This had Joey pretty stirred up. He had done an awful lot of reading, so we let him go for it. I pretty much sit in the background on this episode and make really bad jokes. Don't mind me. Later on in the conversation, Joey and Brad get into a spirited debate about language and how language is used. Again, I also just sit back and make bad jokes. Our sponsor for this episode is State of Died. Don't wear boring clothing. State of Died is a custom-made tie-dye shirt, pant, tie, table runner, towel, beach cover manufacturer right here in southeastern North Carolina. Samantha Wally, the owner, hand makes each item all by herself, a crew of one, so you know that each item is getting a personal touch, and it ensures that your item is going to be yours and yours alone. Check her out at Facebook and Instagram at State of Died 2017. Our intro music this week is by Lucy Stoner. It is the untitled jam that people seem to really enjoy. So thanks for tuning in. If you have any feedback for us, reach out to us through our Anchor page. Please leave us reviews on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're enjoying or not enjoying this podcast. Until then, see you next time and enjoy the episode. So Keith didn't have to do it. Joey's sitting to my left. Brad's across from me. We are located at the table in the southeast corner of the building, facing the front window. So the five branches of philosophy are metaphysics, which is the study of existence, epistemology, which is the study of knowledge, ethics, which is the study of action, politics, which is the study of force, and aesthetics, which is the study of art. Interesting that politics and force go together. Yeah, I wouldn't have anticipated that. The study of force. So, that being said, we might have a political conversation today. (laughs) So what were you saying? You guys were riffing on something so, well before I got here. So Joey got wound up this morning about 7 o'clock. <laughs> okay, so here's what happened. All right, trending topics on Twitter. Um, He's the, our Twitter geek. The word the- phrase Anglo-Saxon is trending high on Twitter right now. And the reason is the America First Caucus, a.k.a. the Trump folks who recently came into Congress or Trump sympathetic folks, put out their platform with uh, several different topics and themes stating what their what their purpose and what they consider their values to be 
and there is a point in the platform where they emphasize in the under the immigration heading um, the America First Caucus recognizes that our country is more than a mass of consumers or a series of abstract ideas. America is a nation with a border and a culture strengthened by a common respect for uniquely Anglo-Saxon political traditions. So obviously, left, liberal, um, anybody critical of the America First Caucus, um, in, which is a lot of people on Twitter, took the phrase Anglo-Saxon to be code for we want white values, white people, white traditions, and took it very offensively. And most of the conversation on Twitter is limited to comparisons of the America First Caucus to the Klan and Klan language as a result of that, which, I mean, I'm not saying it's an invalid criticism or there isn't some truth in it, but it definitely seems like an oversimplification and well, we could say the the whole idea that we're only Anglo-Saxon values and that our political system is based on Anglo-Saxon values when, you know, I mean, it goes, our political system goes, jumps beyond feudal hierarchies into, you know, Roman common law and Byz Byzantine Justinian code and just so many other things that I would think limiting it to just that hell all the way back to the code of Hammurabi with the Babylonians so I mean I was thinking of that. the the idea that we're just uh, Anglo-Saxons you know if we were we might be painted blue and have you know loincloths on and running around so yeah the joke has uh, been like um, okay, so this means that we're like uh, the cultural tradition of America or like the political tradition of America is like Vikings or like Anglo-Saxon as a term is so imprecise. And so what is the current definition of Anglo-Saxon? Maybe you should look that up because okay. that we need to work from some kind of like a standardization of what the definition of Anglo-Saxon is before I start I, I think part of rifting the on well, there's a the idea that... Go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say the problem is, is I think they're just grasping after a way to describe, like, American culture or, like, American identity. Well, what they, they don't, I don't think that they could adequately define what they consider to be American culture. I think a lot of these same people would also define American culture as being distinctly and, in, like, inherently Christian also. Like, it just depends on... It's like each person you talk to, whatever their idea of like good or right is, is what they will present as a definition for. So what I would American think American is. culture is distinctly religious and spiritual, right? I would say that probably 80 or 90 percent of Americans think they're spiritual in some sense or another. They might not identify with the church and I think there's probably a lot of people that would identify as Christian but they don't agree with organized religion and so I really believe that there there's there's less atheists in America than what the the conservative right is really worried about there's a, a movie called be cool which is sort of a semi-sequel to get shorty it was made much 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 later John Travolta Uma Thurman I forget who directed it. Danny we, DeVito I, makes That a would cameo. be a good movie night, like watch Get Shorty and then that. Oh, they're great. Yeah, anyway, yeah together. The, the reason I bring it up is it has a, a 
a soliloquy, if you will, for lack of a better term, yep. by Cedric the Entertainer, where he lays out a fairly compelling case that the entire backbone of American culture is inherently black. And he lists a bunch of things like, you know, mannerisms, way of walk, a style, way of dress. Oh, I think we're definitely he, integrated he, into African culture. And he yeah. lays it out. Which is why saying a sweeping statement, you know, about Anglo-Saxons is ridiculous. Foolish. Well, and yeah, the assumption that there is a single American culture it starts off as being flawed. Like there well, may be if things you that want you to build an idea of what of American culture is, you need to give honor to all the, the, the points of light in American culture and then try to make, that's the way a grounded theory kind of works, and try to make a theory about what is American culture. I'm, I'm sure the anthropologists have a rounding theory of what is American culture. I mean, these yahoos sit around and they make up something, you know, and there's, is there an anthropologist in the room? Right, who normally defines what culture is? I mean, that's what they do as a job, right? And so, ooh, would you really? Okay, would you um, rely on an expert, or would you trust an expert to define what American culture is? Like, I'm assuming that you think that well, if somebody's I, an anthropologist, then they're better able to do it in general right? because that's what they do every day. And so, you put a 50 anthropologists in a room, you'll get a relatively robust definition of culture. I think the Because only they're the ones that define what culture is. Of, yeah, would you get a robust definition of the word culture and what's contained or what's encompassed by the word culture? Or could you get a good definition of what that people would agree on of what their, like, American uniting culture, culture is? Or, right, yeah. yeah they, it, that would be a harder... That would be a harder shtick to get them all to agree on what is American culture because we are so... Homog- you know, like heterogeneous. Right. Like, so the term Anglo-Saxon was an eighth-century. Um, eighth. Yeah, eight. It started to be used in the eighth century because they needed a way to distinguish Germanic peoples or people of Germanic descent in Britain from people of Germanic descent or Germanic people in continental Europe. So that was the contrast when it started being used because the Angles and the Saxons were the primary Germanic tribes to first come to England, yeah, following the Romans, that became like, okay, um, non, I guess, like Celtic or Gaelic or, you know, traditionally like, you know, Roman or whatever people in England. Yeah, the Romans purely mixed the island up. Well, that's even more stupid to say Anglo-Saxon because all the people that emigrated here in the early part of the 19th century or 20th century. Is that, is is Anglo-Saxon, well, then when you say that it's a nod to Germany, is that a nod to Nazism? No, I I don't don't know about all that. (laughs) You know, I mean, it could be I don't think they understand it well enough to me that they're just, but if they're talking I think they're trying to find a technical, a more technical way of saying English. No, but yeah, or well, something that sounds more. That's what I'm saying is, if Anglo-Saxon refers to the, the first Germanic tribes on those islands, England, Ireland, whatever, you know, the UK. Well, there were tribes there, Celtic tribes there before, right? That had come from various Greenland, Iceland, yes, Nordic. Anyway, they went there. So w- when you say Anglo-Saxon, based on that, I think that you're specifically talking about English. When, in fact, many of the immigrants that came in the 1900s were more than English. They were 
course, I guess if you're talking about... They were Italians, they right. were Greeks, German, they were... Yeah. Okay, yeah, this gets into another weird part, like probably the most inaccurate part of this manifesto. So uh, continuing in the immigration section, right? Um, moreover, we cannot ignore, which is such a dumb phrase, right, right. Um, the impact that mass immigration has on reducing job opportunities and depreciating wages for Americans. Okay, I don't think that that's necessarily an untrue statement. I mean, an influx of labor, especially labor that is willing to take lower wages, is potentially going to suppress wages. But anyway, here's where it just kind of goes off the rails. Further restricting immigration would ensure that American jobs go to American workers. The econometric evidence and consensus amongst labor economists is that in addition to being a substantial net drain on the public purse, Post-1965, which seems extremely arbitrary, immigrants decreased the capital-to-labor ratio within the national economy, thereby causing a massive shift in the gains of the economy from wage earners to the shareholders and owners of large firms. So they're and blaming immigrants for the... Sh specifically post-1965 immigrants, which is so strange. Um, an important distinction between post-1965 immigrants and previous waves of settlers is that previous cohorts were more educated, earned higher wages, and did not have an expensive, expansive welfare state to fall back on when they could not make it in America. So That's a really, really didactic way of saying we don't like... Poor brown so people. Right, pre-1965, right. so all the Irish and Italian immigrants that were coming into America in the 19th century and the they early were, 20th century, and the Chinese, they were highly uneducated. Yeah, I, right. They're acting like they were right. like they were bringing in. That's a money huge error in, in their statement. Well, it doesn't make by, any sense. Yes. In my opinion, so they're then, thinking about the World War II people that came, that were doctors and lawyers and. From the from the countries that fled Nazi Nazism, you know that which well, by, a few, by that measure, we didn't open up our gates very large. I say for those eye people. for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If that's what you that's your manifesto, and that's how you want to go about it, then all your uh, anything that you have in your house or any of your clothing that's not made in America, it has to go. Anything that is representative of or looks like or can be attributed to any sort of thing that's not uniquely American, quote unquote, like uh, let's say you got like a, a, a Buddhist statue or, a, a, you know, a, a, light, a nice lawn ornament, you know, uh, a lawn gnome, no idols before me. So all that stuff, it's all got to go. So if those people want to live that way, then then they're beholden by their own manifesto to do it. Not only where it's convenient for them, but... Well, they didn't say that in the, their manifesto. Well, it doesn't matter. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit... I, okay, I agree with that. But let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the just the overall fallacies in the whole propaganda statement. Right? So Joey points out that the immigrants were, were highly uneducated that came... Pre 1965. Yeah, because most people in that period tended to be not well educated by our standards. Now, or the only ones would be the rash migrations during the Second World War and the First World War, where we got some doctors and lawyers and 
and and those kind of people. Higher up folks. Right, right. But they didn't necessarily practice those craft when they got here because they weren't licensed to practice those crafts. Well, and and the, they their schools weren't accredited or whatever they called it back then. Though I know nothing about it, I'm going to assume that the average <laughs> refugee uh, probably does not speak the language of the country in which they are seeking refuge. And therefore, just based on a language barrier alone, right. the mass majority of popular American culture, as we can maybe or maybe not define that, would assume or think or say that those people are less educated, period, regardless of what talents they may or may not possess, just because they don't yeah. speak a native tongue. Well, those people that came didn't speak a native tongue either. Like, they were right out, uh, you know, they spoke Chinese. Right. And not Mandarin, like, all kinds of, the Chinese have tons of languages. Right. So hundreds of dialects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would I would think that they probably didn't even speak, like, a Chinese that anyone around them could speak, like Mandarin, which is a standard form. If they were born out in the country, they probably didn't ever learn how to speak Mandarin. So... And, and now the Irish came, they could speak a broken English, but, you know, they were highly discriminated against. The Chinese were highly, dis very similar to what they're saying. I think another point we need to talk about is the idea that somehow the immigrants caused, the immigrants have somehow caused the inequality, right? In that statement, they basically said a transfer to the... Upper class, isn't that what they said? So okay, somehow so they're I think blaming they're, that okay. instead of organized labor to collapsing. Yeah, I think the the logic is is that rather than um, rather than hold people who are allowing who are actively combating paying higher wages, right. or rather holding people who are um, exploiting labor accountable for you know lower wages and a transfer of wealth from people doing work to people who are employing people doing work, they are saying, you know, if you have a lot of cheap labor coming in, then it's going to suppress wages, like, on average, which creates a wealth transfer to people who, to the people who are effectively exploiting labor and are benefiting from the product you, of the you labor. Can't, you can't blame immigrants you would for have to say that people the, staying the, at the, home collecting paychecks and unemployment. And the small, no, the small amount of immigrants coming in since 1965 versus the reduction of organized labor and the fall of the American industrial system because of the reduction of organized and labor you know what? and yeah, China which, opened up for trade. Which they right. have a trade section in here. Which they talk that, about that. Yeah, probably. they have a trade which section that if you read it, it would probably go, or I read it, and it goes pretty much like word for word, line for line with what, for instance, like a Bernie Sanders supporter yeah. would put out. It yeah, is and I agree with that. classically like Democrat pro-labor. Well, I mean, if you're in a market-based system and someone works for a dollar an hour versus someone working for $35 an hour at GM back in the 80s or whatever the original people working for GM were making a really good wage because of organized labor, obviously they're gonna, the capitalists are going to move their factories to that place so they can pay a dollar an hour or two dollars an hour, right? That's, it's not, that's not any kind of economic science. That's just, hell, anybody can understand that, you know? So, uh, 
when technology so as soon takes as over, China as opened up as over? a world economy, you know, as the world economy opened up, it was obvious that places that have lower priced labor, the labor is going to shift there because the, the, the capitalists want to externalize the labor costs. We gave I mean, it to everybody. We gave it to them. But back to my point, which is as things get mechanized and people fall out of work, they look for someone to blame. And if they're not smart enough to blame the people that are more advanced than they are making the machines that are putting them out of business, they blame the people that don't look like them. That's what's so strange about this manifesto. I feel like in the trade section and even in some parts of the immigration section, they make valid points that are extremely bipartisan about the ability of corporations to take higher profits by neglecting workers. Right. And they make points about the fact that we are too heavily reliant on foreign entities for our supply lines, and that creates a, a national yes. health, national security issue. They're right. Like very valid points. Mm-hmm. Why are they preoccupied with making, with setting up this line of 1965, because before that xenophobia. it was okay, and after it, it's not okay? It's, but it's, it, it literally has happened it over undermines and over again their case. In, every, in every country's history. Rome's, you know, early Europe, just just everybody is afraid of outsiders and they want to blame everything on outsiders. If we didn't have immigration, we would have a negative population growth. And literally, that's more dangerous for anything than getting some immigrants in and having a positive. We're like, we're only like it. Our population growth is like below 1% or something. Jesus, Jesus was really big about accepting outsiders. Yeah. And so a lot of those, a lot of those people who claim to be Christian that would fall in line with these types of beliefs are not fulfilling the fulfillment. That's a double negative, I think. But they're obviously not living the absolute truth of the word. They're fighting two fights simultaneously and conflating a lot of things. They they're have, fighting against. The two fights are fighting against each other. Well, they perceive the decline of America, and they're concerned about the decline of America. And they see every every problem they have with America today, they view as being intertwined. And they see cultural declines, and they see economic declines. I don't know what kind of cultural declines they see. We have lower crime. We have more people graduating from high school. We have more people graduating from college. We have the largest economy in the world. I mean, literally, what well, we, do we they won't for think? very long. Well, we will be overtaken by China if we don't start taking back some of our stuff. That's well, the thing. Like, it's not just taking back; it's creating new stuff. Well, that too, but we, we can't take back some of our stuff in like because we don't want to build that kind of shit here because it creates mass pollution. Right, but then, but right? then why are we comfortable doing it to someone else then? Because it's not in our backyard. Right. You don't but think see, about it. But it, I mean, that needs to change too. If anything, we need to create the technology that causes it to be better, and then they can pick up that technology too. Or they need to create the technology, and we'll pick that technology up from them. You know, and then we'll come up with something else we can trade. Well, considering, like I say, we've we've pretty much given everything away. Like people wonder why China has it because we gave it to them. Well, where did where did Afghanistan and Al Qaeda get all these weapons? Because we gave it to them. Yeah. Well, well why are why? Yeah, because we were fighting the Russians and we gave the. Why are all these countries around yeah, the world trained. poor and living on mountains of plastic? We've got to we do gave something to about single-use plastic. Like literally, we got to uh-huh. do away with. They why have, do people hate Americans? 
they because have we an, gave it to them? They have an environment and an energy section in here. But with both of those, they're very careful to avoid any kind of advocacy for like green tech or green spending if it's either at the expense of American jobs or if it's uh, at the behest or beholden to any kind of like it creates, global entity. Look, they have shown over and over again that it creates American jobs, ones that won't be taken away by automation. So literally, the green, the proposals from the Green New Deal, there is not really a Green New Deal, like a complete proposal, but a lot of the proposals from it are supposed to create a million jobs if they're initiated. Like, like that's a lot more than the jobs that'll be lost lost by the lost by the coal my mom would be really upset lost by the coal miners and and stuff and such so that was awesome well no irregular verbs are i mean there's a reason why people put regular constructs on irregular verbs because language is language is weird and we're not programmed and english is just a strange language anyway children make the same children actually when they make language mistakes they make grammatical ones um, they do. Okay, as far as the cultural decline, they I perceive, would like to talk to them. There's an America First Education section. Mm. The 20th century saw the decline in many vital American institutions. None has been more damaging to the United States than our education system. So in this case, they view the education system itself as an institution. Which Why do they think it's declined? The like, increased consolidation of educational spending came with it the ability for powerful left-wing special interest groups to redirect the focus away from preparing future generations of national talent to progressive indoctrination and enrichment of an out-of-control elite oligarchy. Even worse, our education has worked to actively undermine pride in America's great history and is actively hostile to the civic and cultural assimilation necessary for a strong nation. The future of America's position in the world depends on addressing the crisis in education at both the primary and secondary level. So they're combining two issues. They're saying that we don't have good practical education that's preparing people to succeed in the world, but then also we are not basically indoctrinating people with the right idea of how great America is, which I don't, what do you want to teach people in order to convey to them that America is great and has a great history? Like, well, so that comes from the, the, the white textbook, the, you know, the white dead white guy, you know, as as we start getting away from, and we start like criticizing some of the iconic figures in American history, that they, which they should should happen because they were men, right? And they're not gods. So, you know, I, I think it makes you a stronger American by knowing our flaws and being able to talk about them and. So we don't do them again and again and again and again. Well, right? part of strength is and knowing and accepting your weakness. And the idea that Americans don't, we've that. gone up in PISA scores. We never had great PISA scores, which is the worldwide test that shows that we're 14th or something in math or whatever. We've actually gone up a lot in those scores. And we've always had the most robust economy. If anything, it is the creativity that's gone down with all the, the, the standardized testing. Because we are losing parts per, I mean, patents per million, 
we've gone down in patents per million, and some of the, like Singapore has gone up. Of course, they, they weren't a country at one time, so it'd be hard to judge patents per million from the 50s to now. But So then at least the education that we're doing now is slowly killing some amount of creativity. Yes. So again... I'm open to educate. I mean, I'm an educator, and so I'm open to educational reform, for sure. Like, because in my opinion, we just need to get more creative with our education and and try to create more inventors, more entrepreneurs, more thinkers, more doers. You know, and I I, I believe that one of the things that you know, I, I'm, I'm all for apprenticeship programs that go along with high schools and community colleges, which we have a few. I'm all for that. I don't believe everybody should go to college. I don't believe that it's some liberal conspiracy in the, in the colleges. I, 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 I frankly believe that you tend to be more open-minded the more facts that you look at. Right. And, and there's a lot of psychological theory that indicates that because we are really biased towards the things we like. Well, let's and bend that. Let's bend that a little bit. That's called the effect uh, uh, yeah, her heuristic. Facts are good. And I, I agree with you. Everybody likes but facts. Let's, let's bend that a little bit and just say the more things you're exposed to. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And so Even if, if it you isn't take, a fact, you know, yeah, you it's know not 10 a coin- different kinds of of, of cultural type courses you're going to kind of view the world a little different yeah i think it's not a coincidence that both uh both sides of the political spectrum um attack the other side as indoctrinating people as exposing people to less critical thinking and fewer ideas in favor of maintaining what they view as being the correct way of thinking um, people on the well, right accuse universities of indoctrinating people to very specific, like, academic and political precepts. Um, well, it's exposure. I mean, it's just like you're exposed to all these different texts. You're exposed to all these different ideas. You go, Your breadth of field broadens, and you tend to—it's very hard to shove dogma down someone's face— down someone's throat if you if you are practicing critical thinking and your breadth of field is greater everybody thinks that their way of thinking encourages critical thinking everybody wants critical thinking because everybody's confident that their way of thinking is ultimately correct and will hold up to scrutiny no i don't nobody who wants less exposure oh yes i believe that no, no no ideally they do not though Everybody thinks that people don't But they don't really know what critical thinking means. Well, people, okay, so like, let's take example, all right? And I don't want to skew this to one side, but conservative Christian household, right? Worried about um, sending their, you know, offspring, children to an elite, uh, you know, like left-wing quote unquote, you know, liberal university, right? Because they're concerned about, they're not concerned about that person, about their kid being exposed to new ideas and changing yes, their mind. Yes, they are. No, no. They're, they're very con- no, concerned about they're that. They're concerned about their kid being indoctrinated and brainwashed into but a different exposure way of thinking. does do some kind of socialization. I think that's an important distinction though, like in of the psychology of the person who in being 
in being understanding of the psychology of but that's the what I'm saying concerned. if you have a really narrow thought pattern just exposure could be considered indoctrination just exposure because you're exposing everybody to all these different new ideas and you're talking let's look at this idea let's look at this idea let's bang these ideas together then you tend to question your own values if you're a good critical thinker because questioning your own values is part of self-growth right self-actualization yeah so you do that right and so it's not unusual that someone who moves from the country to the city, their values change. Because of exposure, you don't even have to do it. Well, and people tend to mirror the values of people that they're around and they interact right. with every day. Or like a study abroad. Regardless of a study the abroad quality or, of those values. Or moving, moving abroad out of this country and then you come back, your values have changed like because yeah. of exposure. So the idea that this becomes some kind of indoctrination like conspiracy to indoctrinate people to some kind of left-wing thought is just super suspect. It's just exposure, right? When you're exposed to all these different cultures and all these different ideas, because literally I don't try into, to change people's minds. If you're thrown into an environment where everybody has very similar values and they're different from yours, then you are, as you're, you can be, convinced to follow new values based on accepting groupthink rather than logically like changing your ideas and accepting or rejecting new ideas. Yeah. You, your values can be changed simply by being around people. That's what I'm saying. Have, That's exposure. Um, yeah. But it's not necessarily critical thinking though. Huh? I, I think... There's no, there's no, a difference it may between not. No, it's I'm just exposed exposure. to new ideas right, and I evaluate them logically and decide what I believe and what I feel. And right. I'm thrown into a group of people with different values and I accept the view of the majority because it becomes what feels right and what's socially acceptable. Right. Those are very different on, things. We want to be on the winning team. Yeah. Right, right. But critically critical thinking also would be like if you run a crap class correctly you look at both sides of various issues yeah. now I, I said an error earlier when I said I'm not I, I, as an educator I'm not trying to change something I am right I am trying to change something if you are not changing people when you're educating them you're actually not educating them okay, according to existential philosophy you're okay yeah you're a perfect person to talk about this because you're actually a professor at what would be, I mean, generally branded a liberal university. I mean, all like universities any, are yeah. branded. That. Okay, so liberalism you, is the foundation of American democracy. How, by the way. how accepting would you be of someone with views that you disagree with, uh, maintaining those views and representing views that you disagree with to you? It depends on how, it depends on what those views are. There are some views that are morally wrong, and in in in, in my moral justification of my ethics are morally wrong, and so I would have to say something. Like if you wanted to be a Nazi in my class, I would have to say something about that. Because the right? the conservative because Christian perspective is or stereotype is that um, students with you know. Uh, family, community, whatever values uh, come to you and come to your class and you intellectually beat them out of them to the point and their peers do to the point where their minds are changed incorrectly. 
like and they so actually I would are say less I, critical. I I want spiritual and Christian kids in my classroom because I want to talk about religion. I want to talk about the translation of trying to understand someone else's religion when I don't when I can't comprehend it. So we start we 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 talk a lot about the idea of someone else's religion, right? And and we go through all these different kind of exercises to look at what religion means in someone's life and how like if you are not a Christian and you're an atheist and you're trying to determine what a Christian's thinking, it is really, really difficult because they live a different life. Like, and by you trying to do that, you're actually translating, like almost like another language, their exi- their existential ideas, right? Because you can't understand them because you are not touched by that faith. If you want a better uh, kind of a mystical idea behind it, and so we we literally talk about that. Now, that doesn't mean that we also don't talk about other ethical ideas. And so I want my students to be moral animals. I want them to be able to make a choice and not just commit to a dogma, right? And so, so the difference between ethics and morals is morality is the choice, the ability to know you have a choice. Ethics are the rules that you live your life by. The, the choice that you make for that rule is morality. So a moral person is following a code of ethics. Um, so would you say the idea that when people go to universities that they are expected to accept new, new tenets, new dogma without being critical of them, would you say that that's inaccurate? No, they because need to be. The we want them to be critical of them. Like the whole point is to learn how to be critical of your own existence because you cannot grow. People are always trying to change something else or change the world instead of just changing themselves, which is much more powerful. And so that's self, that's growth, right? Is when you actually change yourself, not just your thinking, but your eating habits, your, you know, your, you know, if you start running or you start cycling or you start gardening, does does things to you. Um, Speaking of running, just real quick, I do know that if you see white people in your neighborhood running for no reason, probably your property value is getting ready to go up. Yep, or tennis courts. <laughs> Actually. All right. I'll be right back. Okay. Are they still out here? Who? Where's he going? I think he's going to the toilet. No, it's it's open. Joey. It's fixed. Unless it blew up yesterday. It only took two more episodes to get back to the bathroom. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) Oh, there's been an enduring journey about the toilet. Um, While Joey's... um, Incapacitated, I can make a few points. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, you, no, guys, no, no. you guys are riffing at a level right now. I just, I'm there. I'm, I'm, but I'm listening. So, yes, the university changes the way people think. The idea that it somehow turns them away from religion or turns them away from thinking America, the promise of America, that America could be this wonderful, you know, robust 
beautiful interaction of people that creates this ideal of freedom across the world or liberty across the world is complete bullshit, right? That is not what we do at a university. If anything, we, we massage those ideas. And that is, I mean, there are some sections of the university that is designed to critique American culture because we can't grow if we don't actually look at look underneath the covers and see what's moving around. The only, right? thing, the only thing I can offer to that would be to say, if you were in college and you left college or university and you thought that American culture was dead or you, it changed you in some certain way, it would probably be because you had amassed more debt than you could handle and you had majored in something that didn't matter and you couldn't get a job in your field and you had to take a lower paying wage and struggle. And then you probably would feel that the return on your investment was not worthwhile. Well, but that's, but that's not induced by professors or scholarship. That's induced by the scenarios surrounding. Yeah. The state schools are supposed to be almost free. That's the way they're designed. They're designed for middle and lower class people if you believe in a class system in America to go to school. They literally are. They should not cost as much well, money what, as they do. That's what the right-wing critiques, though. They say, you know, liberal institutions. Well, what you're mad about is that people of a lower socioeconomic class can now go to school, too, and learn also. And, and, and there also is a whole idea that using neoliberal language to, to define education like your investment in education. It's like to say that going to school for two years, say you, you went to school for two years, but you did not get a degree, and somehow that is not valuable. Hmm. Like the two years that you didn't, that you spent there was not valuable, is suspect because hmm. it does, education changes you, right? It makes you a different person, and that is good. Just like you know, other exposures that we can have if we're going to grow as a country. That I don't now. Granted, I don't think everybody can sit in a classroom and learn that way. I think there's people that would prefer to be apprentices, um, and I think we need apprentices in art and music and not just plumbers and and electricians and those kinds of things. Oh, but we need those too. It's almost kind of like. Um did you ever read The Giver by Lois Lowry? Yes. Yeah. They make everybody read that. Outside of, well, no, no, they never made me. I read it much later in life. But oh, really? But it's now part of the canon. So it, now, it, now, like, ninth graders read it or okay. eighth graders. So, so, yeah, outside of the fact that you're forced into it, you the idea of that book being that there's an apprentice for every right. profession so that the profession always carries on. Right. So, I mean, if, you know, you'd have to choose. Obviously, you wouldn't want to force in, someone to it. At one time in the Roman Empire, you had to be to keep those professions going like that. So they have builders and, and those kind of people. You had to be the profession of your father. Right. Yeah, yeah. So they actually locked you in to try to keep those people. I don't think, of course, we need to do anything like that. But I do believe that we are. Oh, that would have been terrible. We went too far the other way and did away with too many apprenticeships. Right. And I think also it's not just the student that gets, that gets the 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 benefit from having an apprentice. It's the the person that is doing the apprenticeship, like the guy, or the or the woman who is actually running what the up? apprenticeship and, and has those people as their apprentice, I think they get a lot out of it too. They enjoy having the vibrancy of having young people around them and teaching people their craft. They learn their craft even better the more they teach it. So 
Um, Young people give us energy. Yes, and so I, I think that is... That's why I'm here. That's why Wait, if, if, if you... But I think that exposure idea is... And, and, and I think part of it is just that people, people are really afraid of change, and the university is about change. The university, the education system is about change, and people are naturally afraid of it. We've done everything we can in education with the money that we've been given pretty much to boost up the industrial model that we started with. I think what we need to do is look at the model and see how we can change it that actually will function in a world where machines do a lot of the work. I think everybody has... Okay, I've said that before. Everybody thinks the education system is broken. And I think most people It does people exactly think, what it's designed to do. Well, most people, at a very Okay, most people think that real quick. Most people think that it's broken in two ways. Uh, the first one being that in practicality it does not prepare people for success and changing economic realities. I right? would say that side. that's suspect because all those people came through our American education and system. And I would say that we and need they're to redefine success. Yeah. So they were educated. I, I used to... Agree. Would you disagree with that sentiment or would you disagree with the assertion that that's what people think? Um, so people can think it and, it, and it, it's not necessarily accurate. Right. Like, right. I mean, for, I, no, I believe that they think it. For instance, people well, saying also that it's in, a big grade media school, trope. In, in grade school, people need to be, we as a country need to be more open for people being trained for paths other than uh, like strict college, like so, academic w- ventures and more like trade ventures. But the stereotype is that, yeah, everybody likes the idea of trades and trade school for other people's kids. Well, it depends. So you're talking about high school and uh, in general, like up to eighth grade, seventh grade, you're probably not working towards a trade. You have to build like language, spatial skills, mathematical skills. Well, that's like in the the STEM emphasis also comes from the same inspiration of wanting people to be practically capable. Right. Yeah. Like hard hard skills. Okay, I would But th- we educate it. We educate so many more people now than we did in the 60s and those people are way ahead of the people that were successful in the 60s. Yeah, and if you like, look at we, grade We have 7th graders doing algebra. Yeah, I was like, going to say if hello. you look at grade school math, it's now significantly more advanced yes, and, and people are more capable too. I think one of the things we probably should do is in create world languages that go along with the capabilities in mass. Like multiple language structures also develop greater thinking skills. So like bilingual mm. or trilingual people, I think that's one thing when kids are, are so elastic in their language skills, they need to be learning more than one language. And well, and you, if you learn another language, then even you, if it's Latin, it helps you understand you know, concepts or something better. like that. Because yeah. words have different meanings in different languages. So then yes. you get contextualization, right. conceptualization. You get to translate better. Right. Remember when I was talking about religion and translation? You literally get to where you can translate better. Like translate ideas? Ideas or? and words, because words are ideas. Mm, right? Um, all right, that's a separate conversation. Yeah, we'll have that conversation at some point. Okay, what, um, that, words or I, ideas? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So thoughts are things, man. I and if you, if you think can you have bad a thought thoughts, without? Then you have bad things. 
Can you have an advanced thought without language? Yes. Prove that. Thoughts exist independent of language. By definition, you can't express them or express them easily, but... Not complex Language does not... Language does not create thought. It facilitates the transfer of thoughts, but thoughts and ideas exist independently of language. And just because people... Not complex, not super complex thoughts, I wouldn't think. I'm I'm going to table this. Because the definition of the word in your mind scaffolds the, the actual idea. No. Yes. No. Yes, that's how language. That's how knowledge is built. No, knowledge is not built on language. It is built on language. The transfer of knowledge is built no, on language. No, it's built on language. You cannot know what uh, a quark is unless you have defined what a quark is and have that space holder. That, that's why we teach vocabulary. When you say you can't know, that's something that people do not have experience with, though. So you have to be taught it, and you no, language no, no. is required in order for right. someone to be you, taught something. So you see that phenomenon, you label it as a quark, everybody agrees that it's a quark, then that spot in your mind, labeled quark, is where you go to when you think of a yeah, quark your, or when your you example, talk about a quark. You're picking something intangible as your example. So, But if you pick something that somebody has immediate experience with, it's very different. You can you can probably determine that a chair you can sit in. A person's understanding of a tree and the object of a tree and the category of tree existed prior to people having a word to refer to it. No. Yeah. They made up a word to refer to it. Yeah, and it already existed in their mental universe. No. Yeah. They had to assign a word to it for your brain to know what it was. No. Yes. No. Yeah, that's how knowledge is built. If, if you study epistemology, that's the way philosophy works. What came first, is like, the object right, or the that's, word? The object did, and not just the object, but a person's conception no, of the object preceded their naming When it. the person, no, they named it as they perceived it. That's like when a, when a blind person, when a person that has been blind their whole life has learned how to see, they, they have a really hard difficulty seeing corners because the language for corners they have to assign that language to the corner for it to materialize in their field of view so yeah we're we'll get we'll get really esoteric here but but yeah that is the way that is why vocabulary is so important so you can understand what vocabulary you see. is very important for people transmitting ideas to each other and communicating, it's not so for understanding. Think not, about the ideas in your mind. That's I, what I have, I've metaphors are effective for, and I think you have a better case for the prominence of language in the need for people to create metaphors to understand themselves and like the way that the the universe works and the way that we, for instance are individual entities in the way that we move through time, all right? I think, like, saying that language is essential because metaphors are dependent upon language and human psychology is built around metaphors is a better justification than that, but I still don't think it's true. The word does not necessarily have to be written down. 
No, no, definitely. Right. And written language right. is not something but that's native to humans. The assignment of what that object is and normally a name comes with when you perceive it. You make up something for it. Otherwise, you can't remember it. Because there's nowhere, if you don't have the spot in your mind where all that coalesces and the name creates the spot. I think you, okay, the case of language being necessary for but, memory is better, but I would put memory along the lines of, more along the lines of like transmission and preservation of knowledge rather than. No, but it's like my mom, as is. she forgets language, she, for, she loses her memory of what those things are. Mm. Yes. I have definitely been in some frames of mind where the concepts I was experiencing, I had no language for. And only later could make metaphors or have a language for them. But so I think that's a good example. You, there are many things that people perceive as being as existing as being things that they have no name for. No, they name them in their heads. <laughs> okay, you don't, if you forget the word tree, you don't forget what a tree is. Like, you're incapable of referring to it, and you're incapable of understanding somebody when they talk about it, but you don't forget what oh, it you know what? is. Okay, okay. You don't walk up to it and you're like, what the hang hell on, is hang this? On. I've never seen one of these I had before. An, I had an uncle... Yes, there no, are people don't. that forget what a tree is. No, no, I had an uncle. So check it out. No, so one time there are people they forget with dementia. what a tree is, what the word tree refers to, and what somebody's referring the to when they use it. To the tree, but it you don't lose the, the lack of the pointer. Doesn't mean you lose the object. That a tree, you, you lose your debatable. ability to use it or to like to. But the whole our higher power is naming. Okay, take right. take a breath. That yeah, let, well, let's naming, talk about this later. No, take a the naming let's of things does later. facilitate a lot of quintessential human activities. You know, memory, transmission of knowledge, the ability to perceive yourself as an individual but entity moving through time potentially. But memory, but none okay, of that let stuff me tell is you, vital to people is. in the state of it nature. Is. No, no, it it is. Is vital. Hear, hear me out. Hear it me out. Is. I had an uncle. I had an uncle who was in a car wreck and he had amnesia. He hit his head and he right. lost his memory. And when he came home, and he, the only person he could remember was my grandmother. So he came home, and he was living with us and whatever. So he used to drink a lot of Mountain Dew. That was kind of his thing, canned mm -hmm. Mountain Dew. And he would come to the kitchen, and he would point at the can. And in his mind, he knew what the Mountain Dew was, or is, I assume. Uh, obviously, I'm not there, you know. That it was a drink. That, yeah. The, and, but, but he, he couldn't say the word. But he, Yeah, and he, would, and he would point, and he knew, he knew exactly what it was that he wanted. It seemed as if he knew exactly what it was that he wanted and what that object was. But because of his injury, had no language at all to... And he would stutter. Yeah, I, uh, the, uh, yeah, any point. Uh, or, uh, and finally, you know, I or my grandmother would get him, you know, and eventually at some point, he'd come, you know, Mountain Dew. But you could tell it was very frustrating to him because he would be fighting and fighting and fighting to try to... Yeah. But he knew, again, I assume that he knew full good and well. That it was a drink. Yeah. Right. And, and, the, and the perhaps textbook could, example. And because perhaps could even read that it was a Mountain Dew, but couldn't get the word drink soda. 
Mountain Dew. Yeah, the ability to articulate words and the ability to refer to things by names operates off of a separate mental module than actually knowing what something is. I disagree completely with that statement. I, there are no separate mental modules. Yeah, yeah, what? there are. What? What do you mean, what? Name them. The mental modules. You can tell by people who are capable, people who have because suffered there are people, brain injuries who are capable of doing some things and incapable of doing other but things. A, but that's still, that's not a complete experiment. Someone that no, just has I will a bring, brain injury, okay. I will that bring, is not an experiment. I mean, it will, a, a experiment of one. My, right? okay, the <laughs> foundation of my assertion as far as like what I've read is um, The Language Instinct by Steven Pinker. And he's very well. He's big, a suspect author, anyway. Chomsky. Well, he may be a suspect author, but he knows a lot about the biological, mental underpinnings of language. And so, I can I can bring that. I can reread it. I can take notes, and we can have a more thorough discussion because I can't immediately recall in the level of you know detail and precision that you want me to right now as far as so what you, you guys know, do this studies <laughs> but you see how without the naming and without being able to do that we can't even if even if you can perceive this as a mic without the language without the assignment of it we lose all kinds of our power. Yeah, yeah. No, I would totally agree that for it's the um, the existence of uh, perception, objects, whatever, without language because becomes it becomes a moot point when you're talking about socialization. I definitely well, not just socialization, but building knowledge structures in your mind. Like eventually, you have to have a name for something. So you can remember it better. Yeah, yeah. Right. Pre- Otherwise, you come require... and see a tree each time, and until you you might re have to remember or renew your notion that that's a tree each time you look at it. If you can't assign a a, a qualifier to it, it it's an extra, extremely helpful and potentially necessary shorthand. People, most people can remember images. And right. they can remember experiences without needing to translate they, them into words. But they do. I, I really believe that you do assign all kinds of values to something as soon as you remember it. Because that's the way you remember it. Even if it's a snapshot of an image, you still, there are still coalesced in behind that image all kinds of pointers. And, and the more words you have, the more, I think, detailed sometimes those images are. Which is why they think educated people can critically think better is because they have more nuance of bing, 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 all these things come out. Memory is facilitated by the memory containing uh, and... So you're saying Noam uh, is, is, so Stephen was quoting Noam Chomsky? Well, he's deep, like, Noam Chomsky inspired. And yeah. Noam Chomsky was very much along the lines of like people don't think in language; they think in a like a proto language of mental ease, which is then translated into language as we think of it as being words. But the actual 
the the objects and the ideas are contained in something that is not you know um, necessarily How did they verbalized. There's a lot of different ways which I cannot like pull up immediately. Yeah, because I would really like to talk about that because yeah. that would might adjust my schema about the way I think about language and words. And so here you are. I have a, this is a good reason for me to reread that book. Exposure. Or how about reading, like not just reading that book, but read a critique of that book. So maybe I need yeah. to read a critique of Ooh, that book. Man. I've read several does, criticisms of it. He but. does a lot of, a lot like I do, painting with really broad paint. Yeah, brushes. now this is his, the language, uh, the, the language topic is really his. Because some of his social theory is yeah, yeah, way yeah. the hell out there. Oh, no, and it's yeah, terrible. Yeah. yeah, but his language is. I mean, it language has a nice is, idea behind it, but it's. Language yeah. is really in his wheelhouse. But, like, the assumptions that he makes when he extends himself into, like, his writings on violence or the Enlightenment. Is Chomsky are, with us now? Um, Stephen Pinker. Stephen or humanism. Yeah. yeah, he makes a lot of. Yeah, like you said, sweeping assumptions that are in favor like, of the way he wants to I perceive like, the world. I like sweeping assumptions. I'm <laughs> making a sweeping assumption when I'm saying that about language. Because it makes it very nice and neat that where you see the building blocks of people's knowledge as they build it. You know, it's like, it's like is it really knowledge until we talk about it? Like, until we transfer it, until we, mm. you know, like they always say, you know your shit better when you try to teach it back to somebody. Yeah. Because you're actually really getting finite in the details. Just like when Owen's trying to explain something to you about some kind of thing you're wiring up, you know, he gets really defined and like, this is that right there. And, and sometimes he can't mm. think of the word for it, but as long as he could point to it, but if he, if he didn't have the panel in front of him, he'd have to have a word. I know right, it's to a, build that. I know it's a broad example, but I think it's relevant that there are a lot of people who can do something very well, but they're incapable of explaining it. Right. Well, that would you say that would you say it. their intelligence increases if they can explain it? I think that it's an indication of a because kind we definitely of measure intelligence from what they're doing. We definitely measure intelligence by vocabulary. Well, it's like the problem with to circle back to education. It's like the problem with test taking. Are you actually measuring somebody's ability? Or are you measuring somebody's ability to take a test? And can you differentiate those things? No, you can't. And so, so that's a huge problem with standardized testing. We also can't differentiate um, circle culture. Back. I've been reading a really no, good... No, we can't differentiate culture either. I've been reading a really good literary criticism of Fahrenheit 451. Ooh, wait, okay, real quick. I read something I about read that the other day. I have read that in so long. Actually, the censorship... In, yeah, it's been forever for me. Um, but the censorship in it actually is that Huxley? something... Hmm? Huxley? Fahrenheit 451. Brad Bradbury. Bradbury, yeah. The, the, the censorship or media restriction, like the book burning, is not something that's brought down from, like, the government down to the people. It's actually something that's become, like, socially, like, prominent and accepted. It's like a bottom-up and not a top-down thing, even though Reminds people assume it to be top-down. Right. Which I thought that was one thing somebody said about the other day that I read that I thought was interesting. The oh, only reason I mentioned it was because Brad said literary criticism, but... um. And then I derailed this. Sorry. No, let's get back to our original talk before Joe and I got into our. Okay, yeah, I was going to say the second <laughs> thing that everybody thinks is wrong with education is that it's that people are being indoctrinated to ideas rather than taught how to cri think critically. But the thing that's, well, both sides fear that children are being indoctrinated to specifically to the ideas that they disagree with. 
without viewing their ideas as actually being indoctrinating. So you have Or that they themselves have been indoctrinated. Liberals, people on the left, are concerned about homeschooling and conservative Christians not not thinking critically and like basically replacing um, critical thinking and real education with just religious doctrine. Whereas conservatives, people on the right, not necessarily Christians, but you know, I guess there's there's some overlap. Worry about um, all levels of schooling, um, indoctrinating people to kind of like a secular leftist view of like society and history that accepts like dogma and a lot of the dogmatic concerns have surrounded things like um, BLM in uh, like you know middle school high school curriculum is a big concern with conservatives now and they view it as being dogmatic and presented as something that's unquestionable and bad for people or like anti-American thinking like they were referencing as being dogma that liberal people are trying to push into schools and indoctrinate kids with. What, that black people are equal to white people? That, well, just the precepts of, um, I guess Black what you people would call didn't like, get their 40 acres and a mule. critical race theory. Yeah, they're go. concerned about critical race theory because of, I guess, the, the implications of it. They view it as being reverse discrimination. Of There's only discrimination. Reverse discrimination is a double negative. Well, I think the the disagreement. <laughs> it would be discrimination the, against white people. If, right. Yeah. yeah, I think the question: Can you? Is there such a thing as racial discrimination or racism against white people? I think that highlights a difference in like terminology, and like tenets and thinking between people like of different backgrounds. I think you can build racism against anything. I mean, racism is a social construct that you assign to something. So you can easily create racism in any little characteristic that you point out and call it a race. You know, and so I I really believe, because it's a social construct, it's assignable. And so you could literally, you could be racist against white people. I think what... The problem with Black Lives Matter is not racism, it's race-based stress that they perceive as racism. Like, huh. so there's, there's, there's a well, bunch there's of great books, but race-based stress, white people are just not used to having race-based stress because they're the water that the fish are swimming in, right? And so they just can't see it, right? And then when someone brings it up, oh, you know, that's a racist policy or maybe you should do this or maybe we should try this. And then they're like, oh, my God, that's racism towards us when it's really just race-based stress. The thing, you know, like the same race-based stress that a black couple might have going into a restaurant and the waiter thinks they're stealing the silverware, right? It's just stress that that they've had on them for years that they deal with every day that white people don't have to deal with because we're the dominant culture. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I think that's, it's not really racism. It's just like, we should have talked about slavery and the inequality and those kind of things at a much greater level for a long time mm. in schools. Okay. We wouldn't be worried about Black Lives Matter. Every, everybody, wants, everybody wants people to be critical, to be open-minded. Yes. And they want facts 
like when it comes to history, they want the facts to be taught. They want what is actually true to be taught. That, Everybody wants that, yeah. but people disagree with what the story is actually true. The story well, no, yeah. they no, they dis they they agree with the facts. They don't agree with the story there, that's created with the facts. There aren't. Yeah, the problem is, is there aren't yeah. any facts. It's all a narrative. And no, we have facts. To pick your narrative. Well, we have facts, and then the narrative is built around the facts. But the narrative is suspect because the narratives change as the facts change, or the interpretation of the facts change. The well, facts are an yeah, insufficient a story. description of what actually happened. It's insufficient. Oh yeah, to, they're data points. Understand they're just it. data points. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we can agree on that. Yeah. Keep, keep in mind, too, there is a difference between Black Lives Matter, the movement, and Black Lives Matter, the organization. Yeah. Yeah. And the, or, well, and the, the organization and people who affiliate themselves with the organization take a lot of criticism that then gets assigned to the general the, movement. The movement, right. So I think the idea that, I mean, in, in my opinion the BLM movement and, and stuff like that is that we can, we as white people can do something about it because we have the, a lot of the power. Now that's not to say that, that people of color don't have, you know, a, an amount of power themselves, but I would say because they're the dominant culture, um, we, uh, white people being the dominant culture that we can, or the dominant race, we can, we can change it to where we're not, where we're actually, you know, a, a race of, of Americans or a race of earthlings, you know, that, that, um, the best thing that white mm. folks can do for black folks is to get out of their way. That's, that's the, one of the key principles I took from my time at Fisk. I agree. I agree with get that. Get out of their way. You can't mm. speak for them. That's a problem because no. you don't know what it's like. So you have to just get out of their way, but you can and let them you, have a seat at the table. Yeah. Yeah, and that's all. That's all they've ever wanted. And I mean, literally, for, for anybody, they could have you know. risen up and killed all the white people in the South mm. yeah. when they're emancipated. We, yeah, we had talked. Yeah, I talked yeah. about that. So all they want is a place at the table. They don't want to go back to Africa. Right. They don't want to do all this stuff, and they didn't want to back then. Right. You know, they just want a seat at the table. And with the colleagues that I have, I mean, there are some amazing people of color. Amazing people of color. Like, and our world would not, and America would not be as rich and robust and full of life without that culture. Mm. Now, it's a shame that they were brought here the way they were, but without that, we wouldn't be as powerful a country as we are now. So, yeah, okay. without, I mean, and plus we wouldn't have so many different things that are cultural icons, like you were talking about, like, in the beginning, weren't you talking about? Yeah, like, I think people that, would agree with yeah. that. Of oh what you just God, said yeah. in general, yeah, which so, it's a good I mean, case just, for just food diversity. alone. Mm. You know, without mm. all the races that we and all the peoples that have migrated Culture, or were yeah. drugged to this country, we, we wouldn't have this. We need to circle back around back to the co the thing we were talking about in the beginning. What? Well, then if I gotta go. Then if you to the bathroom. <laughs> The huh. caucus thing. I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. I've been kind of cherry picking different okay. parts of it. Yeah. This has been a very Joey centric episode. What? <laughs> well, I had the stuff that I was quoting from, so. Yeah, but you're passionate about the idea. I, I, I think I'm being very imprecise with it. I think it. I, well, no, I think it's good that it bothers you. I think it shows an empathy toward other cultures and the fact that 
We're not just a country full of white folks. Well, I'm concerned about what, uh, how strongly people feel about what's wrong with America and how different people's opinions of that are. And then how do you get to solutions about that? I don't know. The only two things that I can think of that are truly, inherently, deeply American, jazz music and mass shooting. Mm. There have been several mass shootings recently. One is predominantly black. The other is predominantly white. Um, so at least you got a 50-50 shot, you know? That gives me hope. No, the mass shootings definitely brings up, and that's an additional divide. It falls along the same lines, where people are recognize something as being a huge problem, and they're what they assign the cause to, and what they think the solution is, are so Disper- totally different. Yeah. yeah. So okay, well then, if you in this in this. Uh, manifesto for new America or, or Anglo-Saxon values then where's the room moving forward I mean like Brad so Brad said you know there's some wonderful people of color that he works with will there ever be a time where they'll just be wonderful people mm. you know there won't be black brown there won't be people of color right I don't know I don't think that most Even though those are words that we would use to distinguish the concept of things, It's ironic because I think that people are, like I said earlier, and like what this manifesto represents is grasping after this idea of like a good, common American culture. Like, Mm -hmm. and as much as they want that, people are also terrified of there being no diversity in the country. Well, if it wasn't diverse, then there would be no innovation to a certain degree. Yeah. And I don't mean innovation like technologically. I mean just in general, the general idea of innovating. Yeah, I think, okay, so I think this is, yeah, really ironic. They are struggling, the the caucus or whatever, and I think a lot of people are struggling after trying to find this common, good, like, American identity or culture that, you know, a lot of people think we're losing, but they can't. They can't obviously do a very good job of defining exactly what it is. And, but at the same time, they're trying to find that commonality and figure out what it is and embrace it or get it back. But they're terrified of a, a lack of diversity and there being too much group think. And so they're trying to... Those like, are two oxymorons, yeah, you know, like right? banging up. So one of my chapters in my book is The Shining City on the Hill. Like we have to... In order for American America, the ideals of America to, to create in the future, we have to have a shining city on the hill to look forward to. Even though we know utopias are inherently dangerous, we still have to have a vision of what we need to build, and that needs to be America, right? So one of my chapters is exactly about that. That like, at some point, we got to agree on who we are. Do right. we? Yeah. Okay. In, in order to well, in I'm order to talk, pursue a it, better a that, better state, we have to you figure have to out become what solid. that is. Well, okay. You have to become solid as America a little bit. It doesn't have to be. I mean, it can be squishy and movie like an amoeba, but at some point, like that's the construct. It creates the construct, but and then this goes back to the question I asked you before Brad got back, which was if you. So again, you know, you were saying. 
that you have people of color on staff that are great. And I said to Joe, I said, well, is there ever just going to be a time when it's people? But then that's the language yes. that we use to describe those concepts. Yeah, I think it's going to so have to can eventually, we, can we like America's what got, we've a, done. got a morph into like an idea of a vision of the world. Sure. So I think... Like not but only how are would you we Americans, someone we're, who's, we're Terrans or Earthlings or skin has more melanin in it than yours. So wait, so that would be like saying that we don't that it's um, it's like fleeting and like inevitably incorrect to pursue an American identity because the way that we think now and what we realize and our ideals system. of we're, equality. Well, I think with the environment and the fact that we're in a closed system. Right. I think it, we need our ideas of equality and liberty to, I mean, I think they're worthwhile ideas to broadcast into the future. Okay, I think you this know. is a good question to ask people to see where they land on is, and to get probably a, a, a shorthand for their political affiliation, but is America culturally superior to other countries? No, absolutely not. Not in any way at all. And if so, it would only be in, in, the, in the mix of cultures in this country. And, okay, so you say that it's, it's not, you know, necessarily culturally superior. Does that, are you, are you Team America? Or are you, what, what would the alternative be? Being yeah. team, team World? I'm Team, team Everybody. Humans? Yeah, I'm Team like, Human. I am I'm team definitely everybody. not Team Everybody, because in some countries they want to burn me at the stake. So um, yeah, but I'm but I'm living by a different a different creed. Yeah, because they my, won't burn my, you. My, well, doesn't no. Well, <laughs> well, I understand that, but my job privilege. Is, my my job is to is to this is part of my personal philosophy. That's what I'm supposed to do, right? Accept and love. Yes. Everybody, well, regardless. Well, I see what you're saying. I get what you mean. But that doesn't mean they can't be wrong. I get. I, I understand. Right. And, and, yeah. Right. But so I think we we are superior to some places. We're less developed in in our moral thought. And I mean, I think the problems that we've discussed today, even looking at some of the rhetoric in the yeah. caucuses oh, statement. By, by the way, the they talk about China a lot in here too. Yeah, sure their moral do. development is 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 like. They're, they're having problems with their the ethics that they've chosen and their moral development. But to say that the ideas of liberty and justice and peace and the things that are actually in the American trope are not worthwhile ideas for people to live by, I, I think is suspect. I think they are very good ideals for people to live by. But there's room for improvement. There's always room for improvement. If you are not evolving, you're declining. Like there's, there's no is there, static is there, place. Yeah, but, well, that's fine. But but again, this goes back to I this mean, American idea that's, of progress and advancement. At some point, there we 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 will progress far. We will have advanced as far as we can go. No. Well, then then anything past that, it'd be de devolution. No. Yes. No, we could keep going. No. You can keep evolving. No, we can't. No, well, then our evolving would be working backward because we can't sustain and keep going at the, doing the things well, that we do now. No, no, no. Everything would have to change, that's right? What I'm it could be mental oh. evolution. Okay, that's fine. You know, well, we need to have a penis evolution evolution because our penises are shrinking. Speak but for maybe yourself. That's good. No, I mean, not I mean, ours I, in wait, general. That, what? I was, tr I was trying to make so a self deprecating not, joke. Did you see the article? Like, there's an article two weeks ago that said sperm counts are going on and penises oh, are shrinking. Sperm. Oh, I'm not okay. sure exactly whose penises are measuring, but 
I think that if you, interesting I was trying to make a self-deprecating joke and I mixed up. Yeah, if Joey you, didn't ca- if you, didn't take the bait. <laughs> if you look at Western countries, I think a lot of the since um, people's choices to have kids aren't necessarily based on selective advantages anymore that select for certain traits. I think a lot of the actual selection is primarily artificial selection based on sperm donation. But oh my god. I was thinking really? about this the other day. Like oh if you wow. have like the only the only instance where the the amount of progeny that somebody is having is based on like strong selective forces right now. And I'm open to this idea of being totally incorrect, but I was thinking about it the other day. Um, is when you're choosing what people are being selected as sperm donors and what people are donating sperm if you're talking about male selection because there really isn't a reason why with people with so many people choosing not to have kids and so much sexual activity based around not procreating there isn't necessarily a reason why somebody outside of a controlled context like that would be favored over another person like a a person who has a lot of kids in America today isn't necessarily more likely to be you know taller shorter you know um have more hair have less hair well, like the, any of those things yeah. that you consider like superficial qualities because it just the selective pressure isn't there there's not a limitation on right if anything the you mean environmental selective our, pressure. our force of right. self uh, selection of not having kids outweighs any kind of like pro-selective forces yes, I agree. when you're not outside a controlled context and the only controlled context that exists where people are selected for is the like the height and intelligence and like medical qualities of people who are filter who pass through the filter of sperm donation and more and more people are having difficulties having kids and that's I'm assuming a service that's being utilized more and more and more so. Well, they're also saying that the, our society evolves as our, as we actually are slowing down our evolutionary scale physically, like that that our, our evolution has slowed down physically, but our society is evolving. So that's taking the place of some of the selective pressure that our environment would put on us, because we think- evolve our society. But I don't know. You know, I'm not. Necessarily anthropologists. So. Well, we're less at the disposal of biology now. Right. I uh, carry the equipment. Yeah. You already told me I talk too much, so. That's not what I said. I said this was Joey <laughs> centric. It's good to see you passionate about something. Yeah. Mm. It got him fired up, finally. I think. After the last. I think five that manifesto represents a lot of what everybody's trying to say about politics, which is that it's what? Bullshit. That that's the force that they want to project into the world. Americans perceive common problems and their politics is very, very bad at under like articulating what they think is wrong and articulating solutions and they're especially bad at listening to each other in good faith and accepting any kind of common ground. Well, some of that is because they ru- their lives are ruled by emotion and not rational thought. And, yeah, and and there's there are good things about emotion. You don't want a totally rational person who doesn't ever feel anything. But but at some point, if we're actually going to get along, we gotta gotta work on some rational thought. No, yeah, and this thing, this manifesto they had had some good practical 
like bipartisan or yeah, like that's cross. Why, yeah, that's why I really believe that pe- we can actually come to the table. Yeah, and then they turn around and their emotional desire and their like their fear of it's a decline fear. of a, of an America that they can't even articulate in favor of another America that that they don't even understand their emotional concern with all that, that nostalgia and that fear in their attempts to turn it into like language and logic totally undermines their entire point. And now the other side, which already wasn't listening in good faith and you can debate whether or not they should be, um, just sees clan members. In other words, they and picked up that. So that's part of the, the the Twitter sphere's problem is that they picked up that part of the argument. Yeah. No, and the word else. the word that's trending is Anglo-Saxon. Yeah. So nobody yeah. reads the entire thing. Nobody actually attacks their errors in logic. Um, for what they really are. But that's been endemic that way so for a long time. So part of it is also yeah. the Twitter, yeah. Twitter's capacity with 150 characters or whatever to um, to really be better as a barb than as a bridge. Yeah. Right. I, think, so I don't think that Twitter makes people incapable of having thorough, productive conversations, but I do I think do. that it feeds people's desire to have yeah. poor conversations. To punch down? Yeah. Punch. Well, people don't. Neither side perceives the other one as punching down Twitter because is that also messes with their narrative. Both sides think that they're the ones who are attacking the corrupt institutional power that's destroying America. Twitter is also or preventing America from fulfilling the promise of itself. Or one of the you things that is it. single-handedly responsible for destroying the English language and grammar as we know it. Now, on the bright side of that, I guess it's 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 enlightening or hopeful that it's creating its own new language. Yeah, no, destruction... Which I don't like, by the way. The destruction of language would be the destruction of the ability to convey meaning. It isn't necessarily the same as... Do we need to convey meaning? Is that important? Is meaning important? Yeah, that's what language is for. I don't think so. I don't think you need to have any meaning in your life at all. Hey, yo. Hey, hey. Why? Really? Yeah, why not? No. People What's if, the point? If a person if you created a person whose life was at outset devoid of meaning, then they would create meaning themselves. People can't leave the, live their lives in a meaningless way. That's like I, saying yeah, I'm agreeing with the you phrase this moment. when you talk about somebody not being religious, the you classic are not comeback. Meaningless. I've never said that. He said he, that people can live their life no, they have meaning. Yeah, it may not be good. Who, who, or who gives them that meaning? They give it to themselves. Why? How? Because they have to have a reason to live. I think it's a biological imperative. Who says yeah. they're alive? That people are alive? How's, how do you know it's not a simulation? Well, then the simulate, then they have meaning within the simulation. Yeah. Like, yeah. Who, then who's giving them meaning in the simulation? A simulator? Know, anything. Yeah, sure. You're assuming there's a simulation. No, I'm not. I'm you asking. Prove that. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm just asking <laughs> questions. I would say if you if you assume that the world is simulated, that actually would point to like more meaning, and yeah. like because then somebody would have had to construct it. Like, I don't have the answers. There would be a creator. Yeah. I don't yeah, believe that if either. You, if that's your that we're in a simulation. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know about that, but I don't believe there's a creator. 
There well, is, if there we're is, in a simulation, there obviously is a creator of the simulation. Right, but that doesn't mean there's anyone tending the light at the end of the tunnel. There doesn't even mean that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It just means there's a tunnel. Is that, have you been watching The Matrix? No. Okay, the yeah, no, the I question did, I did whether watch, or not people's lives have meaning. Like, I did watch Inland Empire. I was just it trying can, to, it can either be interpreted as like people have when, a purpose and a be set over the path in their lives versus I think people when people perceive the their lives as not it. having meaning, they feel like they have mental illness. Like they go to shrinks and they try to figure out why their lives have no meaning. I would say that's yeah. also maybe a deeply American thing. No. Mm. Well, okay, there is some interesting stuff that I've read recently about the about weird ethics, like weird the acronym. Um, By the way, it's almost noon. Yeah, we need to probably wrap this up, but you want to give us a segue for the next one? Yeah, Until sure. you okay. read something different? Uh, what? I don't... <laughs> I just figured Yeah, I'm not that flippant. I don't... I'm as no, open no, no. as I am to... No, I mean, don't so be far as our, don't I mean, flippant in our topics... <laughs> No, um, I mean, until you get fired up about something else, we have to talk about that. Okay, so people have been... <laughs> I've seen several things making a distinction in uh, ethical systems recently that highlights the the strangeness or differentness from, like, the rest of the world or most people culturally of weird people, which stands for Western, Educated, Industrialized, Rich, and Democratic. So, I don't know. If anything, that would potentially be as good a jumping off point for a specifically American variety of ethics as anything. But I don't think that it's the prevalent ethical system in America, even though it's conspicuously prevalent in America from what I've read. Wait, and we'll have to look at, we'll have to kind of look at what the ethical systems are in America. Like what I yeah, mean, the, certainly the liberal system is based on John Rawls. Yeah, it's very yeah, in that that that's, plays into it with that's very called, individualistic. That, and that's based on justice. Yeah. Yeah, well, very indi- individualistic, very respective of the uh, of personal sovereignty and then also very intellectualized. Like when you contemplate moral dilemmas you're right. you're making like calculations based on like greatest good or whatever rather than simply saying like right is right or something along those lines or that the socially accepted answer is the correct answer because it being socially accepted makes it correct the individual is given the autonomy to weigh more yeah, choices whole legal system is the, based on the individual having the autonomy yeah without it we're talking about something totally different you can't have justice if you if you can't if if you're you know it's like a dog making a moral decision like well, but there are a lot of well okay again you do a much better job of making a distinction between morals and ethics i happen to think that was the hardest thing to decisions. for me to learn how to do <laughs> i would they do i would say dogs never make bad moral decisions sure because they can't think morally well i, I don't know about that but no they can't have moral choice because they can't have an ethical framework Okay, is it a correct ethic? And again, I'm going to conflate them. Yeah. My dogs are pretty ethical. Oh, you've trained them maybe to have some kind of... No a, different than the training that we've received. Mm, yes, it is way different than the training that we've well, received. Well, I don't they sit, didn't I don't sit on command, but... <laughs> 12 years. Oh, well. And if I'm you, just saying. If you make the moral or ethical... <laughs> I don't want to hurt your feelings about your dogs. No. But they don't have court, right? 
<laughs> well, we don't. I don't know what they're doing when I'm not at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Smoking cigars and drinking bourbon. Right, yeah, <laughs> playing, yeah, playing playing cards. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and talking trash about you and Sam. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When are they going to When are they going to feed us? Yeah. They're going to let us out. So maybe we should wrap up our conversation. Okay. Uh, we I'm thank you it. guys for listening. We will talk about some other topic. Maybe we'll get into what Joey just mentioned. Next week. Next week. On a Sunday, maybe. Unless the weather's good and I go kayaking. But we'll see. Okay. I mean, I'm okay either day. Yeah. So if we want to move it around, if y'all got things to do, it pretty much I'm free in the mornings. All right, Joey, send us mornings. home. Send us home? Yeah. Sign us out of this bitch. I thought that was a pretty good one. All right. We're out. <laughs>